and I studied together. I said a minute ago, thank you for being here. And I want you to know how much we do appreciate you coming back. I know that there are many places that you could be. There are many things that you could be doing. But you've chosen to be here, and for that, we are grateful. And we're very thankful that you're here to encourage all of us. Well, we're all here together to encourage one another. It's good to see Jared back tonight and his family. We're grateful that they had a safe trip. Hope everything went well at camp. I trust everything went well. And so didn't hear about any adventures, so I suspect everything went fine. Tonight, if you would, look at 1 Peter chapter 1. Peter, of course, is writing to Christians in the first century, saints that had been scattered abroad throughout Asia. He is writing to people that belong to the body of Christ, lending insight into, number one, the relationship that they had with Christ and God's great redemptive plan. That plan made possible by the wisdom of Almighty God. And so Peter's going to discuss that in this chapter. I want to begin tonight as we look at chapter 1, and we're going to be talking about saints who suffered in the shadow of hope. Peter is writing to Christians that were faced with a siege of persecution. They were being tried for their faith in the Lord. And so one of the things that he does is try to encourage, to inspire them, to remind them of the hope that they have in Christ Jesus. So I want to begin tonight, and I started together, by first of all talking about the revelation of Christ. And I want to pick up, beginning in verse 10, the passage that Jordan read just a moment ago, because here Peter talks about the revelation about the coming of the Christ, the prophets of old, who wrote very vividly about the Messiah who was to come. Now, there are some 300 or so prophecies about the coming of Christ contained in the Old Testament in those 39 books. To understand that those holy men of God spoke under the direction, the superintendence of the Holy Spirit. Matter of fact, Peter would say over in 2 Peter chapter 1, that they spoke not by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved or borne along by the Holy Spirit. Paul would say, all scriptures given by inspiration of God. In other words, it is God-breathed. It has God's stamp on it. And so, listen to what Peter said. Of this salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. To them it was revealed that not to themselves, but to us, they were ministering the things which now had been preached to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit, sent from heaven, things which angels desire to look into. So you go back to the Old Testament. And beginning in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, God begins unveiling His redemptive plan following the transgression of Adam and Eve in the garden. And Peter's going to allude to this unveiled plan beginning in verse 18 and following. This plan was in the mind of God before He ever created man or ever laid the foundations of the earth. And so with that in mind, 
you had all of these Old Testament prophets and they're pointing in one direction. That is, they are pointing to the coming of the Messiah, the Son of God. They're very vivid in their description of the coming of the Christ. And the prophets who foretold of the coming of Christ, they didn't have the luxury that we have today because we have the New Testament. The New Testament provides us with insight into those Old Testament prophecies and their fulfillment. You remember Jesus before He ascended to heaven. Matter of fact, prior to the giving of the Great Commission in Luke 24, He said, These are the words which I spoke to you with regard to His redemptive work. He said, All that had been penned about Him in the Law of Moses, in the Prophets, and the Psalms, those things had to be fulfilled. Well, they were fulfilled. So you look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, the promised seed. Chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, the announcement to Abraham that through his posterity, all nations of the earth would be blessed. As we've noted time and again, that promise realized in Jesus based on Galatians chapter 3. Because Paul said that those who are in Christ are heirs, that is, they are Heirs of Abraham. They're heirs of that promise made 2,000 years prior to. And so then God begins unveiling this, this redemptive plan bit by bit and piece by piece. 2 Samuel chapter 7, Nathan the prophet disclosed to David that through his lineage, God would establish a kingdom. He said that that kingdom would be eternal in nature. That's exactly what Daniel said. So we have the Messiah coming, and not only is the Christ coming, but He is coming to establish a kingdom, that is, a spiritual kingdom. In Isaiah chapter 7, Isaiah, you remember, talked about the virgin birth, the fact that the Christ would be born of a virgin, the second member of the Godhead, would inhabit human flesh, the psalmist of old would write in Psalm 40, A body have you prepared for me. Well, where was that prepared? In the womb of Mary. And then Micah, that great prophet of God. Micah foretold the birthplace of the Christ. He acknowledged it would be in Bethlehem of Judea. Now you think about the prophets. They didn't necessarily understand everything that they were writing about. Though, though no doubt they inquired, they searched diligently. They were interested in those things that they were writing about. They had, the Jews had, entrusted into their care the very oracles of God. If anyone should have known when the Christ would emerge, they should have been the people. Paul said they had the oracles of God, Romans chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. You remember in Matthew chapter 2, following the announcement to Joseph that the Christ was to be born of Mary and that it would be through Him that people would be saved. Well, Matthew chapter 1 documents the birth of Jesus, chapters 1 and 2. And the Bible says that when Herod heard about the birth of this king, he called before him the chief priests and scribes and inquired of them where the Christ would be born. You remember what they said? They said, in Bethlehem of Judea, as it is written by the prophets. So they had information at their disposal regarding the coming of the Christ. And so 
those holy men of God pointed to the coming of Jesus. David, for example. David said, The Spirit of the Lord spoke by me. His word was on my tongue in 2 Samuel chapter 23 at verse 3. And David would write in Psalm 16, Psalm 16 concerning the resurrection of Christ, that he would not leave his soul in Sheol, that is, in the Hadean realm, nor would his flesh see corruption. And by the way, the Apostle Peter quotes that very text in Acts chapter 2 and makes application to Jesus. So, Peter is writing to people, many of whom knew something about those Old Testament scriptures and those Old Testament prophets and the prophecies that had been given. The same spirit that inspired those Old Testament prophecies inspired the New Testament, the 27 books that we have. And so in the first century, the gospel was in men. They were the earthen vessels that Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. You remember in John chapter 14, Jesus promised the apostles that they would be the recipients of the Holy Spirit, the Comforter. He would teach them all things and bring all things to their remembrance that He had taught them. In chapter 16, verse 13, Jesus said that He would guide them into all truth. And so, in the first century, you had the gospel in men. And they were preaching and teaching, evangelizing and edifying the church. So Peter makes that known. I think it's worth noting here that Peter talks about the things that had been penned before about the Christ. That angels were desirous of looking into those things. They were interested in what had been penned and what had been, been spoken about the Messiah, the coming of the Messiah in His kingdom. There's a second thing I want to talk about tonight. First, we think about the revelation of Christ. But then note, if you would, in the second place, redemption in Christ. Pick up with me, if you would, beginning in verse 18. In verse 18, Paul's now going to talk about God's redemptive plan made possible through the finished work of Jesus, His only begotten Son. In writing to these saints, he said, Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things, like silver or gold, from your aimless conduct, received by tradition from your fathers, to those who came out of a Gentile background, many of those people, they lived idolatrous lives. That idolatry or those idolatrous practices had been handed down by their fathers. Sometimes that's the way things operate, isn't it? Sometimes it's not a matter of truth, but it's what we've been taught. And so, Peter here talks about the aimless conduct. And the idea is, without Christ, life is vain, isn't it? It's empty. There's no hope without Christ. But now note if you would. He said, we've been redeemed with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without spot and without blemish. Do you remember, for example, in Isaiah 53? In chapter 53, Isaiah gives a very, a very striking prophecy concerning the coming of the Christ. 
and His redemptive work. And He talks about how He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He would go on to say He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him. With His stripes we are healed. Jesus was that Lamb of God that came into the world to save mankind from sin. That's what John the Baptist announced. And John the Baptist was foretold of by Isaiah the prophet in chapter 40 that he would be the messenger. He would be the one to prepare the hearts and minds of people to receive the Christ. So God had a plan. God unfolded that plan through prophecy. And now we have the fulfillment of that plan. But Jesus here is spoken of as a lamb without blemish and without spot. John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Do you remember back in Exodus chapter 12, the Passover, and the fact that specific instructions were given to the children of Israel, where they were to place the blood so that they could escape the death of the firstborn? Well, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 that Jesus, our Passover lamb, our Passover has been sacrificed for us. So He was the fulfillment of that Passover all the way back in Exodus chapter 12. You can read about that in chapters 12 and 13. And so He said that we have been redeemed by the precious blood of Christ. Let me just pause here and ask this question. Do you think people, by and large, genuinely understand why Christ came to earth? And the cost, not only to Christ, but to the Father. You know, Jesus talked about how He was the only begotten Son, the only one of His kind. God was willing to send His Son to die in our stead. And so, over in 1 Peter chapter 3, Peter would say that Christ also has once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust. So you think about the cost to God the Father. God, His Son not sparing, sent Him to die for us, didn't He? And then to think of Jesus, the second member of the Godhead, willingly laying aside the glory of heaven to come to earth. As the Apostle Paul said, He emptied Himself and took upon Himself the form of a servant, being made in the likeness of men. And so when John wrote in John chapter 1, John said, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. Glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus came to do what? To seek and save the lost. As the angel said to Joseph, to save his people from their sins. Jesus came so that we might enjoy redemption. He was the ransom for sin, wasn't he? Isn't that what he said in Matthew chapter 20? The Son of, Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give His life a ransom for the many. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, Paul tells us that He is our mediator and that it is through His work on Calvary that we enjoy redemption today. 
And so when the Apostle Paul wrote to the saints in Ephesus, he would say that it's in Him, that's in Christ, that we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace. Turn back and look very quickly at chapter 1 of 1 Peter. Peter talks about the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. We enjoy salvation because through our obedience to the gospel, the blood of Christ has been applied to our heart. Our sins have been forgiven. And so, as Peter said, look, we've been redeemed. The redemption that we enjoy today came at a steep cost, didn't it? Didn't the Apostle Paul say, you've heard of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He were rich, yet for your sakes He became poor, that you through His poverty might be made rich. That's what Jesus did for us. In verse 20, He said, He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. God's redemptive plan had a timeline, didn't it? And so when the time was right in the days of the Roman kings, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law. Why? To redeem them that were under the law, based on Galatians chapter 4. Jesus came to redeem the human family. He came at the right time. He came at the right place. He came for the right reason. And that was to redeem us from sin. So this plan, and by the way, we are the recipients of this plan today. You think about God in heaven authored this plan before He ever framed the world. And you have a part, you have the privilege of having a part in that. We ought to stand in awe at the redemptive power of Almighty God to think about what God has done for us. It says something about his love for us, doesn't it? You know, we talk about being the crown of God's creation. When you go to Calvary and you see what Jesus did on your behalf, you come to understand we're pretty special people. Incredibly special. In verse 21, he said, Who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead, gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Our faith deeply rooted in Almighty God. Now, in verse 22, Peter talks about this purification process that comes as a result of obeying the gospel of Christ. He said, you've purified your souls in obeying the truth. Our souls are purified by what means? By the blood of Jesus. And he says the instrument by which this is accomplished is God's holy word. He said, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the Word of God which lives and abides forever. You remember what Jesus said in John chapter 3? That except a man be born again, he can't see the kingdom of God. In verse 5 he said, except a man be born of water and the Spirit, he can't enter the kingdom of God. He would go on to say, marvel not, I say to you, you must be born again. Why? So that our sins might be remitted, so that our souls might be purified. All of that made possible by the finished work of Jesus on Calvary. Once we obey the gospel of Christ, Peter now says that we're to live a sanctified life. That is, we've been set apart from the world unto God. 
God in heaven is holy, and Peter said that we're to be holy in our daily life, right? That's what he says in chapter 1. To be sanctified means to be set apart from the world unto Almighty God. I like what, I like what Paul said in Colossians chapter 1, how we have been delivered out of the power of darkness and then translated into the kingdom of God's dear Son. You remember in 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter said, you're an elect race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, whom He's called forth out of darkness into His marvelous light. The church, the ecclesia, the called out. We've been called out of darkness into the light of Christ. And now we are the beneficiaries of being a part of this institution that we call the church. Turn over, if you would, to chapter 4 very quickly. Peter here talks about the background out of which some of the Gentiles came and ultimately obeyed the gospel. In verse 1 he said, Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind. For he, has, for he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin that he should no longer live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lust of men, but for the will of God. For we spend enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles when we walked in licentiousness, lust, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In regard to these things, they think it strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. They'll give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. When we become a child of God, that old way of life, no matter how deep we were immersed in a life of sin, we've got to come out of that lifestyle, don't we? As the Apostle Paul, you remember when Paul wrote to the church at Corinth and how he emphatically stated that the unrighteous would not inherit the kingdom of God. And he said, Neither fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, homosexuals, thieves or covetous, extortioners, drunkards, revilers. He said they won't inherit the kingdom of God. And then in verse 11 he said, And such were some of you. So when we become a child of God, that old way of life is over. It's done. And we come forth a new man in Christ. We rise to walk, as Paul said, in newness of life. So when Paul wrote to the church, his second letter to the Corinthian brethren, he said, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Listen to him. All things have passed away. All things have become new. Thirdly, and very quickly, I know our time's almost gone. The third thing I want to share with you has to do with our risk in Christ. When we made the decision to become a child of God, what we were saying is that we're going to be faithful until death, and if the need were to arise, we will be faithful in the face of death. Peter's writing to Christians who are suffering. Their faith is being tried. And so listen to him in verse 5. Who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. 
In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. That the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Let me just pause there. You really don't know what you're made of until tough times come, do you? Now, there are lots of adversities that can come our way. Peter here is talking about those who were suffering for their faith in Christ. Matter of fact, over in chapter 4, he would say, If any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. Are you willing to suffer for your faith in Christ? Would you be willing to die for your faith in Christ? You remember in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, I think, it's, I think it's somewhat profound that on the front end of our Lord's ministry, He talked about the possibility of suffering for our faith. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Great your reward in heaven. When you go back and you begin looking at all those Old Testament prophets, name me one prophet that was popular in the eyes of the people. Did they suffer? Yes, they did. And what Jesus is saying is, when we become His disciples, there is the possibility, even the probability, that we'll face tough times. We've just been blessed to live in a country that affords us religious freedom. But let me tell you what, the country in which we live is quickly turning. If our nation were in the future to announce that our religious liberties ceased, would you be faithful to God? Would you risk imprisonment Bodily harm? Death? Do you remember what Paul talked about in 2 Timothy chapter 3 when he spent some time talking about the persecutions and afflictions that he faced at Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra? And down in verse 12 he said, All that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. If you want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, Paul's saying, listen, you, you better buckle your chin strap because chances are you're going to face some tough times. And if you're living a godly life in Christ Jesus, mark it down, Paul said, it's coming. And You look at the prevailing winds in our country today and you tell me, are we living in, are we living in a society that appreciates Christianity or that disdains God and His Word? I think the latter. So there's some risk involved. By the way, Paul and Barnabas in Acts chapter 15, Luke records the words that Paul and Barnabas, listen to this, they risked their lives for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, they put their lives on the line for the advancement of the cause of Christ. Do we have that kind of faith? I hope we do. I hope we have the kind of faith that will stand tall 
even in the face of adversity and persecution. And then finally, our reward in Christ. Back up now and look at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. On the basis of the resurrected Christ, what Peter is saying is, as children of God, we have hope. We have hope now, yes, but we have hope beyond the grave. Now Paul said we live in hope of life eternal, which God who cannot lie promised before the world began. In Titus 1 verse 2. Peter here is now talking about this living hope. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, a validation of the resurrection of Jesus. And the fact that just as Jesus was raised from the dead, we too one day will come forth from the grave, won't we? As Jesus said, marvel not, the hour is coming when all that are in the graves shall hear His voice and come forth. Those that have done good to the resurrection of life, those that have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. So there is a future resurrection. But listen to what Peter has to say about our reward in Christ Jesus. He said we have an inheritance. It is incorruptible. It is undefiled. He said it fades not away and it is reserved in heaven for you. What Peter's saying is, whatever you have to go through in this life, you need to understand there's something that awaits you on the other side. It will all be worth it. We live in a day and time when things wear out, rust out, decay, tarnish with time. We live in a physical body subjected to time. And as we live longer and longer in this world, what do we see? The aging process and the breakdown of the human body. And yet what Peter is saying is we're going to a place where there will be no decay. There will be no corruption. There'll be no fading away. We'll be in that new Jerusalem that Peter talked about in 2 Peter chapter 3, that new heaven and new earth. And listen to this, wherein dwells righteousness. Heaven's for the righteous. So tonight, if you're here, as I look back in the first century and I think about these saints who were suffering in the shadow of hope, whatever our lot may be in life, if we're suffering, if we're having tough times to understand there are better days ahead, better place ahead. That's what Peter said. If you're here tonight and you haven't been born again, if you haven't been born of the water and the Spirit, would you not do that tonight? Acknowledging that you believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, repent of all your sins, confess His name, be immersed in water. God will then put you in the church, the ecclesia, the community of the saved, and then be faithful until death and you have that reservation in heaven. It's waiting on you. If you're here tonight, you're not what you ought to be if you're not faithful to the cause of Christ. Could we pray with you and for you? We'd be more than happy to pray on your behalf. And listen, you can leave here knowing that you're in full fellowship with God once again. And that when this life comes to an end, heaven's your home. Won't you come as we stand and sing?